Swung on, long drive, right field, and this one belongs to the Reds. UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show, an in-depth look at the Cincinnati Reds and the Cleveland Indians. For the fifth consecutive year, we examine the teams and their progress throughout the baseball season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I'm Dave Mitchell, our weekly get-together where we sit back and talk about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. And, you know, Mark, uh, we're going to go down south and bring in Mark Donahue, but, Mark, one of the things I wanted to say is this has been, for the last five years, the staple show here on UltimateSportsTalk.com, and it all has to do with the fact that we have stuck with this show for five years through thick and thin of talking through some good years with the Reds and Indians, some bad years with the Reds and Indians, and some mediocre years. And I think this year is turning out to be one of those mediocre years. But nonetheless, in five years, it's still been a lot of fun. It sure has. And, you know, sometimes I get very frustrated with the Reds, as I know you do with the Indians. And this platform allows us to vent and for those of you out there listening, uh, it, it is cathartic in a lot of ways that we can get on here on Monday nights. If things are going well, we can we can chime in and voice our enthusiasm for the things our teams are doing right. And at the same time, when things are not going so well, we can get in there and have a platform to to spout off about the things we would do if we were running these respective organizations. And unfortunately. Uh, it, it's it's really interesting the the performance of these two teams over the last five years have been almost in parallel paths. Uh, when when one's good, the other is good. When one's bad, the other's bad. But right now, neither team is playing all that well. But I have to say that for my five year partner Dave Mitchell, I would say Sunday had to be the culmination of a long time dream where Mr. Lindor finally leaves the the, the the chains that have backled him, uh, shackled him in Columbus, Ohio, and he has moved into Cleveland. And so I wanted to call you and congratulate you on Sunday, but I thought I'd wait and do it today. But you must be feeling better that Mr. Lindor has finally, finally come to Cleveland. I am totally excited. I don't want to put any pressure on Mr. Lindor, but as far as I'm concerned, this is the reincarnation of Omar Vizquel, Ozzie Smith, Ernie Banks, Lou Boudreaux, and let's just sprinkle in, just for the the sake of being, just trying to temper the expectations on Francisco, Frank Duffy and Eddie Brinkman. But this is the culmination (laughs) of all of those shortstops rolled into one mark, and again, the Indians front office... As much as I love this call-up, bungled it again. <laughs> they really did. I, I know you and I talked about this before we went on the air, and, and we're going to get into this. But, you know, not only did they bungle it yesterday, but the Indians and the Cubs at Wrigley Field have been rained out tonight. Now, did, have you noticed something, Mark, that Major League Baseball no longer calls it a rain-out 
it is now called, according to Major League Baseball, a delay due to inclement weather. There's no longer the word rain included. Well, whatever they call it, they ain't playing tonight in Chicago. And by the no, way, I want to not. congratulate you. You may be the only radio hist- uh, host in history who has somehow connected Frank Duffy and Ernie Banks <laughs> in evaluating the, the potential uh, results of Francisco Lindor coming to Cleveland. That, that, that's the, the parameters that he could perform in. So congratulations to my partner, Dave Mitchell, for the Frank Duffy Ernie Banks connection, because I don't think anybody else in baseball has ever done that. Mark, I am still banging the door of the Indians' front office. Since we honored Rick Manning, I want a Frank Duffy bobblehead doll day. That's what I want in Cleveland. Let's bring back Frank Duffy, and let's honor him for the less-than-mediocre career he had while a member of the Cleveland Indians, just like we have Rick Manning. Well, <clears throat> I'm all for it. Uh, Frank Duffy was a former Red, by the way, you know. Yes, he was. Okay. San Francisco Giants. So you, I just wanted to make sure you knew that I knew that. And, and, and by the who way, took over, who, the who way, took over for Frank Duffy as shortstop of the Cincinnati Reds? Uh, Barry Larkin. No, it was Dave Concepcion. Was it, oh, was it Concepcion? Yeah, it was Davy Concepcion because Duffy got traded that old? to the Giants in 1970. Oh God, I thought he came up later than that. I thought I'm he was in the, the bearer in, in of bad George news, Mark. I'm the bearer of bad news for you tonight. What's that? You just realized you're older than you actually thought you were. <laughs> That's not possible. <laughs> <laughs> but you know the one. Okay. Here, here's the problem that I had with the Indians, and then I want to get into Cozart and Joey Votto with the Reds. You know, last week the Indians waited until late Monday to call up Urshela, who's proving to be, at least throughout the first week, deserving of being called up to play third base, and Zach Walters. They waited until Monday night, knowing that the Cleveland media, as enamored as they are right now with the Cavaliers, as well they should be, would not be talking about these two players at all on Tuesday since Game 3 of the NBA Championship Series was going to be played. And indeed, they weren't. Then Saturday night, I get a text across my phone after the Indians game with Detroit has ended about 7.15, 7.30 that the Indians are going to call up Francisco Lindor to play on Sunday. Now, Lindor's playing against Syracuse in Columbus. Mark, if you're in Columbus... If you go to your local rent-a-car place and just rent a vehicle in Columbus, drive it to Detroit, straight up I-71 and 75, right to Comerica Park in Detroit, how long do you think it would take you to get from Columbus to Detroit? Two hours and 37 minutes. Two hours and 37 minutes. Fine. Do you know Lindor could not make the starting lineup for Sunday's 105 game because of travel problems from Columbus on Saturday? That's well, maybe, the problem that I maybe have. Maybe he had to get a visa. <laughs> yeah, to leave Ohio. That, that could be to, to go into Michigan, yeah. Yeah, that, Michigan, according to some people here in Ohio, is a foreign country. <laughs> that was it's almost my point. like going into Iraq. <laughs> that was my point. Yes, 
Absolutely. I mean, I don't understand why anybody would want to leave Columbus and go to Detroit, but that's another story. Anyway, so the Indians boggle that. But they, they wait until Saturday night, knowing that the media, stupid that they are, especially in Northeast Ohio, are not going to pick this up, especially on Sunday when the Cavaliers are playing on Sunday night. They always want to ease these guys in as far as the media is concerned. Well, Lindor, he finally got in the game. In the seventh inning, he came up as a pinch hitter, struck out. And then in the ninth inning, Mark, he lined a line drive down the right field line that went into the corner for a double, except for one thing. Lindor forgot to not, not only touch first base, but he fell down rounding first base. He was so nervous. And afterwards, he talked to the media. This is Francisco Lindor talking to the media about what happened on his first major league hit. Of course. Of course. Well, we're having a little technical difficulties there, so we're not going to be able to hear from Francisco Lindor. But he said he was just so nervous, Mark, that he could not feel his feet and his legs rounding first base. Well, you know, that that is a very honest human response to something so momentous of going to the big leagues. This kid, his entire life, has dreamed about that. And I'm, I'm happy to hear that. You know, some of these kids are so nonchalant. Oh, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm destined to be in the big leagues. It's only a matter of time. When they get there, they act like they've, uh, you know, been around for 20 years. And I, I don't like that. I like when I hear a kid like that say, this is the biggest moment of my life, and I was so damn nervous I couldn't even run the bases. I, I think that's endearing. and I think fans like to hear that kind of thing. Well, tonight he was slated to be the number two batter in the batting order for the Indians until they got rained out in Chicago. That game is going to be made up, by the way, Mark. Not this week, because this is a strange way that they're playing the <laughs> Cubs. They were playing them today and tomorrow in Chicago, and then Wednesday and Thursday in Cleveland. So they're actually going to make up this game back in Chicago on Monday, August 24th, which was the next off day that both of these teams had that coincided with each other. But, you know, really, Mark, the Indians had no choice but bring to bring up Lindor. He was last week's International League Player of the Week. He's batted over 500 over the last two weeks. He's just done an outstanding job, especially defensively. And they ended up putting Nick Swisher back on the DL to make room for Lindor coming up. But I, I think this is the beginning. I really do. I think you've got a whole, in, a whole new left side of your infield now with Urshela at third and Lindor at short. And I think those two guys are going to be there for a long time to come. Yeah, I, I think the Indians, again, we've been saying this all year, uh, they have the nucleus of a very good up-and-coming team. And unlike the Reds, I, I would compare the Indians somewhat to the Cubs. Uh, the Cubs have a great core of young players that are going to be around for a while. And I see the same thing with the with the Indians. Unfortunately, I don't see that with the Reds. I, I just don't see they have that nucleus of particularly position players in the minor leagues that are going to help this organization over the next five, even ten years. And that's a scary thought. But if they keep playing the way they are, it's likely the Reds are going to have a top five draft pick next year, which is a great segue into talking about the Reds and the the rumors now that are somewhat uh, over the top 
about who they're going to trade this year. Not if they're going to trade, but who they're going to trade and when they're going to trade them. And when you look at what the Reds have to offer teams, the Reds could offer any one of a half a dozen teams. Honestly, God, it's not overstating it to say they may not win the World Series, but they could almost guarantee a deal with the Reds would put certain teams into a position that they would be in the World Series. Now, that could be the Dodgers. It could be the Giants. Uh, the, the most intriguing team to me that, number one, can afford <clears throat> these, these guys from the Reds are the New York Yankees. They're, they're in a position where they could come in and actually win the World Series if they were to pick up, say, Johnny Cueto, uh, Rollis Chapman, maybe Jay Bruce, maybe Brandon Phillips. Uh, and there's probably Toronto is a candidate to pick those teams up, Kansas City. Imagine adding those four players to any one of those rosters and certainly guaranteeing a World Series appearance. What would you give up, Dave, if you were the GM of the New York Yankees, the Detroit Tigers, the Kansas City Royals, uh, the Dodgers, uh, who else would be out there? Seattle. Uh, those teams are all underperforming. Not underperforming, but they, they are close enough that picking up these guys mean you're in the World Series. Do you give up the farm to do that? Well, the Yankees have always been a team that gives up their farm system in order to win a pennant. They've always been win first, worry about the future later. And And actually, the Reds have two things right now that the Yankees need dearly. A right-handed hitting second baseman and a right-handed starting pitcher. And it has been, from what I understand and from what I'm seeing, the Yankees and Detroit are the two teams that have been stalking the Reds as far as Cueto is concerned. Yeah, and I think you might see... uh, I think you could get more if you're the Reds. You could get more if you separate Chapman and Cueto. But I don't think they're going to trade Chapman. I think they're going to trade Cueto. And if they could trade Brandon Phillips, I think they would, but I'm not sure his contract would allow that, although he's having a pretty darn good year this year. He's sitting near 300. It's playing well, I think, they, I think he, he could, they could get the Yankees to take him. That's exactly what the Yankees need as a second baseman. Well, he, he he would be he would be great in New York with his personality. He, he would be a terrific asset to that team, and it, it really is to the point now that the, the, clearly, without any question, the Reds are not going to do anything this year. So why not make that trade now? Why why do you every day they wait those play those players become less valuable, and you know if it's going to be a one year rental, teams aren't going to give up as much. But if they have an opportunity to negotiate with Cueto and Chapman or Phillips or whomever they trade, uh, gosh, it would just seem, not only that, they should have done it earlier. And maybe even trade Mike Leake. I mean, you could bring back with those four players, I mean, you could bring back some incredible depth if, if, and you brought this up, do you trust the Reds' front office to make the right deals to bring in the best talent? No, absolutely not. I don't. Well, it doesn't make much sense no, to trade. No, I agree with you. I, I totally agree with you, Mark. I do not trust the hierarchy of Walt Jockety and whomever he has underneath him 
to make the type of deal that is going to be beneficial to the Reds in the upcoming year. How can you trust a hierarchy like Walt Jockety when he turned down a trade three years ago to get Giancarlo Stanton? Well, uh, <laughs> that's the $64,000 question. Um, they, ha- they have to make these trades. And you have no choice now. Bob Castellini is, is backed into a corner. He has to admit that his front office messed up with these contracts they have in place, picking the wrong players, not getting a Giancarlo Stanton, but other, other deals they have made or not made. And it has not worked. We're not saying these guys are bad guys, but somebody has to be held accountable for the condition of this team. Whether it's the manager, which I don't think it is. I don't think anybody could win with this team. It's either the front office and the scouting scouting department. It's the ownership. Somebody has to bear responsibility for it. So Mark, if Brian Bob Price Cassini was fired, is not going if, anywhere. If Brian Price was fired tomorrow, how long do you think it would take him to get a man another managing job in baseball? Not long. You don't think it would? No, I, I think people know what has happened here. Uh, I, I think he would be he would certainly get a pitching coach job immediately if he wanted one. But I I don't blame him for this team. I don't. I think anybody in that position, with given the athletes they have and the makeup of this team, the trades they have made, uh, it's it's impossible to win when you don't have anybody in, in AAA that you can bring up that can replace someone in the lineup. Now, again, if, I don't know if you saw the game last night, but the Reds on base, the, their runners in scoring position batting average, is the worst in baseball. They're 30th. And you you can't bring up anybody from AAA who could help that? You're last. Last night, perfect example, bases loaded, nobody out. They don't score in the eighth inning. So if you have a, a minor league organization or AA and AAA, that's where you get your guys who can help the roster today, and you can't bring anybody up to improve that team? You are you're in deep trouble, Mark. I almost feel the same way about Brian Price that I did about Manny Acta. I never thought Manny Acta had a team that he could manage and, and stay in first place. Same as I agree with you, I don't think Brian Price could either. But where I have a problem with Brian Price is I don't see players on that team that will run through the wall for him. I don't see him as a manager that instills confidence. And the, the, I'm going to use the word loyalty. I I really am. Uh, And and I think this guy has to learn how to handle things outside the lines of the baseball field before he truly becomes the type of guy that would actually get another job. I couldn't see him getting another job as a manager of a baseball team. Well, we can agree to disagree on that, but the, Brian Price was given a raw deal to the extent that, number one, last year they had injuries. This year they have injuries. But look at the Cardinals. The Cardinals have had as many or more injuries than the Reds, and they're in first place. They lose their starting number one starter in Wainwright. They're in first place. 
So it, this is this is a a symptom of a much deeper problem in the organization than just a team having a bad year or two. They have they have ungodly weighted t- contracts that do not allow them to fill out their roster with reasonably good major league players. You you can't have guys hitting 160, 180, 120 in your starting lineup. That's what the Reds have. And I, I agree not with you, and that's why I was always in favor of Ramirez and Chisholm being sent down for the Indians. That's why I was that's why I was in favor of it, and I agree with you. the The Reds have those type of players. Well, the Reds again, they have Bosch playing left field. And he's hitting one twenty eight or one thirty eight, something like. It's so bad you don't, don't don't want to remember the exact number. But you can't have a major league team with that kind. A batting average from a guy who's starting for you in left field, and you have a center fielder hitting 220. Yeah, he's stolen 30 bases. That's great, but that means he's making outs about 72 percent of the time. So I mean, 78 percent of the time, he just doesn't get on base enough to be an effective major league player. So if you What's have that situation? kind of performance, you're last in the league in hitting with runners in scoring position. You have a lousy middle relief bullpen. I'm, Brian Price is not the problem. It's it's who made up this roster is the problem. Oh, I, I definitely agree with you on that. What's the situation with Devin Masarocco moving up to left field? Well, nothing. He injured himself, in, I think, in his second or third game down there. And I'm surprised they've not announced already that he's going to have surgery. But the rumor is that he's done experimenting left field this year that he's going to have surgery. They want to get it done sooner than later, and I, I think they'll probably announce it this week. Isn't this the same way they handled Joey Votto two years ago? Yeah, and, you know, he was he was going to be coming back the last month of the season and playing. It, it is so disingenuous of this organization to lay that stuff out there for reasons that are, are purely economic. They want people continuing to buy tickets through September. So let's say, let's tell the fans that Joey's going to be coming back. There was no way Joey Votto was coming back last year. And it's insulting to the fans to have the Reds say that kind of crap because everybody knows it's not true. And why are they, who's giving them this advice? Where does it come from that, that they would make that kind of comment to the fans? And the same thing with Devin Mezzarocco. Why would you risk an all-star catcher, his his health, over the rest of his career by playing him when he needs surgery. Why not get it done now, give him an, an extra couple months to heal up, and have him back in 2016? I, this, is, this stuff drives me insane because these are not baseball decisions. These are common sense decisions. Well, that leads and, me into Zach Cozart. Cozart, uh, from all in, for all intents and purposes, from what I understand, in nine months he'll give birth to a new ACL and some more ligaments in his knee. But has he undergone surgery yet? I mean, he obviously is out until the beginning of next year. Yeah, I, I heard he was going to have surgery today, but I, I've not heard anything confirming that. That's what they were speculating last week. But, you know, you look at that, next year – you're going to have three guys coming off major surgery. Homer Bailey, Zach Cozart, and your catcher, Devin Mezzarocco. 
Those are three of the most important positions on the team. And you've got these three guys coming off major surgery. And the Reds are screwing around, refusing to make a deal on a pitcher they know they can't afford in Johnny Cueto. I'd love to keep Cueto. I think he's a great pitcher. But having Johnny Cueto and, and Aroldis Chapman on this team is, is idiotic. Cueto could go 20-5, and five and the Reds are still going to be in fourth or fifth place. And why do you need a closer on a team that's going to lose 90 games? You don't. So you, well, you can't make the argument getting... to me that you're better off waiting because you're not better off waiting. Well, that, that's been, the, that's been the, the Reds' expectations now over the last couple of years. They just refuse to make moves because they think they're going to win. And they've got the fans so entrenched in that way of thinking. And from what I understand, the Cincinnati media, except for McAllister and, and uh, uh, Mo Egger, uh, they've got everybody else in the media convinced that this team can win if they just make a couple of tinkering jobs. Well, I'm, I'm not so sure that the rest of the media buys into that stuff anymore. I, I think that the, the, the reality is that most of these guys know the truth. But, you know, Cincinnati is a small town. And compared to other towns, uh, you know, Chicago, New York, L.A. And it always bothers me that these reporters don't go after the Reds more strongly. They, they don't challenge them. They don't throw it in their face a little bit more. Because if this happened in New York or L.A. or Boston or Philadelphia, uh, these reporters would be a lot more aggressive with the ownership, a lot more challenging to them. But everybody just plays nice, and uh, they don't do that. And I, I've never understood it. Well, I guess the Brian Price rant would be one good reason, because if you remember that rant, nobody really stood up to Brian. You brought it up that night that we talked about it. Nobody stood up to Brian Price and said, hey, this is our job. That's not our responsibility to let everybody know that you're bringing up Tucker Barnhart and, and keep it quiet. You know, I mean, hey, it leaked out about Lindor coming up. It, it leaked out. Everybody knew it. It leaked out that they were bringing up Urshela and dropping Ramirez. Everybody knew it. But you didn't see Terry Francona going off the deep end. And and that's what bothers me. You know, I, I'm not going to get on the, the Cincinnati media because I don't know enough about what happens down there, Mark. But I tweeted this morning, just listening to some of the, the morning show hosts in Cleveland, I, I put out on my Twitter, at OHBB co-host, stupidity must be a prerequisite to be a morning sports talk show host in Cleveland. It's got to be it. Because I don't understand where these guys come up with anything that they talk about. On the, on the off chance that they talk about the Indians, Mark, it's just completely and utterly stupid. And when they talk about the Cavaliers... It's even worse. You, you brought up the fact about how St. Louis is going through so many injuries right now. Well, you know, I'm sick and tired, and I don't, I don't want to get on a basketball kick here with the finals going on, but I get sick and tired of hearing about what a terrible coach David Blatt is of the Cleveland Cavaliers when he hasn't got two of his starting five all-stars in Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving, and everybody thinks he's coaching a stupid series. Tell you what, Mark, you take a couple of the starters off of Golden State, and let's see where the Warriors would be. I agree with you. you know, and I think Cleveland, the, the, 
the Cavaliers, I think, would have been favorites to win the NBA playoffs. And they're not dead yet. They, they have two games left. They, they can pull it out. If they did, it would be one of the great upsets in recent history, <laughs> given what's happened to the injury on the, on the injury front with Cleveland. But, you know, again, just diverting a bit to, to basketball, uh, LeBron is the most dominating, unstoppable player I can recall. And he is a absolute physical anomaly. When he's, when he goes up to rebound, this guy, you forget he's 6'8". And he weighs what, 245, 250? He's a big man. Yeah. And, and, and you know, Mark, back to baseball, Joey Votto has been this week to baseball what LeBron is to basketball. Joey Votto's just been hitting out of his mind this past week. Well, it's great to see because Votto, uh, he's an unusual personality. I, I don't know if you have a chance to see him much being interviewed, but he has a, maybe it's the Canadian thing, I don't know. But he's a very iconoclastic type personality. He's a different kind of guy. And uh, he said the other day on TV that uh, he doesn't even think about his knee injury anymore. And when you look at his statistics, career statistics, this guy is a great player. And he ranks among the greatest players in Reds history, which means he ranks among the greatest players of all time because the Reds have some pretty great players in, in their history. But you look at what he's done, his OPS, his power numbers, his on-base on percentage, his uh, slugging percentage, everything. Compare him to some of the greats, and he's right there. So if he remains healthy over the next eight or nine years, the length of his contract, he could rewrite the Reds' history book. Unfortunately, I think Joey Votto is another candidate to be traded, especially in, in, in a couple of years. There's nine years left on his contract. 190, I think it's $199 million. But, again, he, he could be a, a difference maker for a team. And, again, you look at the Reds' roster, what could they get back from these guys that they could trade? And, Dave, what's the alternative if they don't? They could finish last this year in the Central with a horrible Milwaukee team. Milwaukee could pass Cincinnati, and Milwaukee's awful. That's how bad the Reds are right now. So they've got to do something. There's nothing in AAA. What the hell else can they do but clear the bench, bring in, trade five or six really good guys, bring in nine or ten really good guys, and play to win in 2018? I don't see they have a choice. Well, you know, interestingly enough, Votto would look – his swing would look pretty good at Yankee Stadium with that short right field porch. I think it'd be better in Boston because uh, he hits left field, to left field so often he would lead the world in doubles. So there's a lot of places that, that Joey Votto could go that would make would be a huge impact on on a team, and he's he's simply not. And the other thing, Dave, is he's not getting a chance to perform at a high level because he has nobody protecting him in the lineup. You're an idiot. If you pitch to Joey Votto in any kind of tight spot, you're stupid because nobody else is going is to hurt you that bad except Frazier. But Frazier is, is, 
he's very pitchable. You make a mistake, it'll hurt you. But he's very pitchable, and there's nobody even close to Bado in that Reds lineup. Well, the Reds, after this past week, their record is now 28 wins, 34 losses. They're in fourth place, 13 games behind St. Louis in that National League Central, and the Reds finished 4-3 and three a week ago. The Indians now heading into tonight's off night, which, by the way, they got rained out tonight at Chicago against the Cubs. They're 29-33, and 33, virtually the same record that the Reds have. But they're in fourth place, same spot that the Reds are in the American League Central, but the Indians are only six and a half games behind Kansas City in fourth place, and the Indians finished two and four on the week. But as of tonight, June 15th, I'm telling you right now, I think the Indians are poised to make a run at the top of this division. And Mark and I, our homework assignments for tonight, since the All-Star game is being played in Cincinnati in just about a month, we're going to give you our All-Star ballots here tonight. But first, I want to go over one other thing off the field in baseball today, Mark, before we get into our all-star ballots, the San Diego Padres, not unexpected, finally pulled the trigger on Bud Black. He is no longer the manager of the San Diego Padres, and their interim manager is going to be former Padres outfielder Dave Roberts. Your thought about that firing? Well, it was almost inevitable with the number of trades that San Diego made in the offseason to improve that team. I mean, they brought in some big names and spent some big money uh, to, to bring in some, some guys who supposedly were going to take them to the promised land. And if you remember in the opening series of the year against the Dodgers, uh, everybody had high expectations for San Diego. And if that's the case and you don't perform, you're going to get fired. I really don't think anybody thought the Reds were going to be any good this year, so you can't, you can't blame Brian Price for the team living up to expectations because that's what they've done. But in San Diego, the expectations were a lot different. And that's when, as a manager, uh, you're in trouble. And Bud Mark, Black, he, I think he's a ahead. good manager, but it just didn't happen this year. Mark, this just came in. This from Twitter just a few seconds ago. You and I talked about what, whether or not the Reds should trust what Walt Jockety would do with these trades. On Twitter... J.J. Hoover has just posted, doesn't matter what the Reds should do, Reds won't do anything with Jockety there. J.J. Hoover said that? J.J. Hoover just said that. Whoa. J.J. Hoover 44 said, doesn't matter what the Reds should do, Reds won't do anything with Jockety there. Whoa. Goodbye, J.J. Hoover. Wow. Now, I'm assuming that's J.J. Hoover. Now, this may be somebody with the J.J. Hoover, but this just came across Twitter. doesn't matter what the Reds should do. Reds won't do anything with Jockety there. I can't imagine the real J.J. Hoover would say that. I would be, yeah, now, now that I'm thinking about it, I would be extremely shocked because you're right. Hoover would, would definitely be gone, even though they didn't get rid of him a year ago. But, hey, if that's one of our listeners... I think he agrees with us. I don't think Jockety will do anything. No, I agree with I agree with JJ Hoove. Uh, we both agree on that. Uh, and this, you know, when these these teams, when they make these decisions to either sign somebody or trade somebody, people forget that this can have an effect 
on a team for up to a decade. We're not kidding around here. This is billions of dollars in revenue at stake, and over a 10-year period, if you make, if you screw up, it can come back to haunt the fan base, the team, the organization, the city, because of a general manager who makes dumb deals. And I'm not calling Walt Jockety dumb. He's not a dumb guy. He's had some success as a general manager, but you can't argue with the fact that the team is now in a position where they could be a last place team for the next three to four years. That is a fact. And something major has to happen for that not to occur. Mark, look at how long it's taken for the Cubs to rebuild. Exactly. Look how long it took for the Reds to rebuild. After they won in 95, uh, they didn't make the playoffs again until, when, 2010? Mm-hmm. Look at look at Pittsburgh. I think they won in what year, 91, 92, and they didn't win again until 2010, 2011? This this stuff, you know, you, you think, oh, it's just a game and no big deal. It, it is a big deal because it impacts the, the vibrancy of a downtown, uh, the city, the, the pride of the city, the contracts, millions of dollars, millions, billions of dollars at stake. So you, you can't just shake your head and say, well, they'll be better next year. No, no, they won't. They won't be better next year unless they do something. And Mark, how, for some what's reason, the name of that casino team, down there, and how far is it from Great American Ballpark? From where I live? No, from from Great American Ballpark. What, what's the name of that casino down there, and how far is it from the ballpark? Hollywood Casino is probably three blocks, four blocks. Okay, because I, I went to the Indians game two weeks ago, uh, two Fridays ago, or about a, okay. And I had never been up to the casino, the Horseshoe Casino, which is about three blocks away from from the Indians' ball field also. And and the group that I was with, we ended up going to the, to the Horseshoe Casino, and I walked through. Mark, I'm telling you, on a Friday night, that place was packed. That place makes money hand over fist. And if the Reds are winning, they are going to make double, even triple the money of what they're actually making. This entire city, and you you talk about the downtown and th- the thriving businesses that can happen downtown. That's what's going on in Cleveland right now as far as the Cavaliers are concerned and with the Indians during the summer, especially with that casino there. People are coming in to go to the ball games and then go to the casino at night. They're going to do the same thing with the Reds, and the Reds need to put together a winning ball club to get the people downtown to go there. I was in, in my commercial real estate career, I was in economic development. And I saw how these cities do develop using commercial real estate, uh, whether it's sports teams or office buildings or casinos, whatever it is. And these these decisions stay around for decades, in many cases, many, many decades. And it it sounds silly that something so insignificant like a winning baseball team the impact it can have on the city, it's, it doesn't sound like it would be important, but it really is important. A vibrant downtown is fed by sports teams. It, it impacts restaurants. It impacts apartments, where people live. Uh, and we're, we're not even getting into this the psychological. Uh, when your teams are winning, everybody feels good. You can't wait to go to the ball game. You're, you're up. 
And when, thing, when th- things are going well, it, it does impact the city in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's it's it, it's amazing. You know, that was the first chance. I don't know if you've been in that Hollywood casino down there or not, but that was the first chance that I've had to go into that casino in Cleveland. And it's amazing how many people were sitting there playing slots, playing craps, playing poker at tables, playing the the game the the machine poker. Uh, there's there's three different levels of games that are going on there constantly throughout the night. It's open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Mark, they bring in hand, money hand over fist with the drinks and the food that they have there. And if the Reds are a winning ball club, just like the Indians and the Cavaliers, there's more money to be made in downtown Cleveland and Cincinnati just with that. Well, it's going to be interesting to see what happens between now and and the trade deadline. Uh, My opinion, I'm not a pro, but my opinion is the Reds would get more if they'd make a deal sooner because the other teams are going to say, well, we have an extra month of Johnny Cueto or an extra month of Chapman or whomever they're going to get. Uh, That makes a big difference. That can be a difference from a team winning and losing, and I think they're more likely to give up a lot of prospects uh, the sooner that deal is made, because it also gives them time to negotiate a long-term contract with those guys. We'll see what happens, but the, the writing on the wall is not good, given the injuries. And these are not major injuries. The injury that Zach Kozart, <laughs> what happened to his knee, that's a career-threatening injury. You just don't come back from that injury overnight. He had major, major knee injury, and uh, they say it's nine months. Well, he's a shortstop. His his key was his quickness, and that is going to be tested greatly next year. I'm not saying he can't come back, but you, you could almost make the blanket statement, nobody goes through that kind of injury at shortstop and comes back and they're the same player. Devin Miserock was a catcher, and he's got hip surgery. A catcher who can't bend over and and squat behind the plate is not a catcher. Brandon Phillips or um, Homer Bailey is coming back from major arm surgery, and these are three guys who should be in your starting lineup next year that may not even play. Mark, very quickly, just one word answers before we get into our All Star ballot. Johnny Cueto traded, and your gut feeling where? I think he'll be traded to New York. Yankees? Yes. Okay, how about Araldus Chapman? Uh, that's a good question. I was going to say uh, the Dodgers, but Kenley Jansen is doing a great job out there. I'll tell you who needs him are the Cubs. My, my uh, sources are telling me the Nationals. Yeah, but they got a pretty strong bullpen, but I, I can see him going to the Nationals. Uh, but he could go anywhere. He's going to make any team he goes to better. Okay, Jay Bruce. I don't think he'll be traded. I don't think people will. T- I mean, guys hitting two two oh eight. Who who'd take him? Joey Votto. No, I don't think he'll be traded. Brandon Phillips. Yes, I think he will be traded. I think he'll go to the Yankees. And finally, Mike Leake. Yes, he'll be gone. Any idea he, he where? He'll be a good fourth or fifth starter for somebody. Uh, There's so many teams out there that could use him. He's affordable. 
Yes, I think he'll be gone. I don't know where. Okay. Well, the All-Star Game is July 17th in Cincinnati at Great American Ballpark. The Reds get to host it this year, and with that going on, Mark and I decided to go over our All-Star ballots. And Mark, I'm going to give you the opportunity to tell us what you think your criteria was for the All-Star Game and, and who you chose. Let's start out with the National League and who you picked there. Well, first of all, my criteria is there's four. Most deserving in 2015, the best player over the last five years, players that will provide the, the league, their league, a win, or the player I just want to see. And what I decided to use as a criteria is what players will provide their respective league a win. They may not be the best players this year, but my example is, would you put Billy Hamilton on your team, certainly not deserving on his performance, but he could win the game because of his speed. So that's how I looked at the criteria. And if you want to start with the first baseman, uh, we just want to pick nine, our, our, our starting lineup. Well, what I did was I went first base, all the positions, and then a DH. Okay. How many, how many players per position? Just one. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go with Paul Goldschmidt for the National League first baseman. Interesting. Why? Well, he leads the league in just about every category. The thing I like about him, he's, he's trailing Votto in home runs, but he's, he's an on-base machine, and I just think he's playing the best first base. My, my backup, actually, was, was either Adrian Gonzalez or, or Joey Votto, uh, and there's so many good first basemen. You could put your, you know, draw the name out of the hat. You could go Goldschmidt, Adrian Gonzalez, Anthony Rizzo, Joey Votto, Freddie Freeman. All those guys are deserving. But I, I like Goldschmidt. I, I think he could be, uh, as a right-hand hitter, uh, I, I think he's, he's the guy I'd pick. Well, my criteria was very simply who I felt deserved to be on the All-Star team this year. I, I'm not getting into this uh, deal about do we have to win this game because I still think that that's just a crazy idea that the winner of the All-Star game gets the home field advantage. To me, it's an all-star game. It's an exhibition. It's the players who are deserving to be there. And to me, that's why I put Adrian Gonzalez as my first baseman in the National League. But it was really close over Anthony Rizzo of the Chicago Cubs. I, I really had a tough time deserving this. And I'll give you a little heads up on this. I went with Gonzalez at first base only because I put Rizzo as my DH. Well, you and I are, are disagreeing on the outset, so it's going to impact our decision. I picked the, the team to win. And I, this stuff about the, the, the All-Star game being an exhibition is out the window now because it does mean something. It is the home field advantage in, in the World Series, and I think that is deserving of p p picking the best team to win, not necessarily a guy who's having an, out, you know, an outlier year and maybe hitting you know, 360, uh, one year, but he's not going to help you win the game. Who's your first baseman in the American League? Well, I think it's pretty easy, Miguel Cabrera. Uh, although Prince Fielder is surprising me. And again, over there you've got Albert Pujols, those three. But I went with Cabrera. He, he's the toughest out in baseball. And uh, it's hard to have a team without him on it. I agree. How about at second base? Well, you're going to like this. I went with Jason Kipnis. Uh, 
over Altuve. Uh, Kipnis is just, unless he's cooled off the last week. And he, he's just he been, hasn't. He's been raking, and um, you see him far more than I do, but statistically he looks like the guy most deserving. And the guy, you know, not only deserving, but he's the guy performing. And he and Altuve, again, you could pick one or the other and have a, a, a darn good player. I agree. How about your National League? Well, this was tough, and this is where I, I'll probably vary from you. The guy that's probably most deserving is D. Gordon, uh, but I don't believe in D. Gordon. <laughs> in a big game, he he hasn't won my heart. And with all the the offense that this National League team has, I I, I went with Brandon Phillips. Uh, I just think that he can bring defensive performance that that team needs to win. And in a big game, I want Brandon Phillips to second base. Are you trying to increase your baseball card status for Brandon Phillips? No. I, I just think Brandon Phillips is the best fielding second baseman I've ever seen. And if I'm the manager in that team, I want him at second base in place of D. Gordon. Okay. Well, my two second basemen are Jason Kipnis of the Indians and Colton Wong of the St. Louis Cardinals. I think he's just had an outstanding first half of the season, and I went with Wong as my second baseman. Shortstop, you're not going to believe who I picked at shortstop. So I'm going to go first on this just to take you out of your suspense. My American League shortstop, Jose Iglesias from Detroit. Outstanding shortstop defensively and offensively so far. My National League shortstop, and I cannot believe I'm even picking this guy, Johnny Peralta of St. Louis. Oh, my God. Uh, number one, I agree with you with Peralta. That's who I picked. And I was going to throw that in your face because you hated Johnny Peralta. I still and hate Johnny Peralta. What? I still hate Johnny Peralta. <laughs> At least you're consistent. So uh, th that's congrats to you to pick a guy you hated. Uh, I picked Jose Reyes uh, in the American League at shortstop. I think he, uh, uh, he he's the guy I want. But, again, you used Jose Iglesias. Again, in, I disagree with your premise. You said he had a great – I'm sorry, Colton Wong. You had him because he had a good first half. I don't want that guy at second base in an all-star game to can, that can decide who gets the seventh game of the World Series. I want Brandon Phillips. So your criteria is more wrong than your pick is Colton Wong. The reason you picked him is what I disagree with. <laughs> All right, how about third base? Uh, I'll go with uh, Josh Donaldson in the American League and <laughs> Nolan Arenado from Colorado. He, that guy, every time I see him play, he is really good. <laughs> and... He's kind of under the, the radar because he plays for a crummy team. But at third base, there's not a lot of choices. I mean, you have Matt Carpenter, who is having a good year. Todd Frazier is having a good year. But unlike other past years where there's been a plethora of uh, good third basemen, this year there's not. And uh, Arenado, I think, is playing the best ball in the National League. Okay, my third baseman was Josh Donaldson of Toronto, and I went with Todd Frazier as my starting third baseman. I, I figured it was so close with Aaron Dotto 
uh, and Frazier to me that I went with the hometown guy. I, I went with Todd Frazier as my starting third baseman for the National League. My catcher suck up. Hey, what what can I say? My catchers very simply and very easy. I thought this was the easiest position to pick of all of them. Stephen Vote of Oakland and Buster Posey of the Giants. I have Buster Posey and I got Russell Martin. Okay. I think Russell Martin has added more to that Toronto team than people realize. And he's the guy with the experience I went behind the plate in the All Star game. I have both second, actually. How about your outfielders? Let's go American League first. Well, you know, have you seen what's happened with Kansas City? Yes. Okay, Kansas City has eight starting players, uh, not including Mike Trout. So uh, I really, you know, you, you really can't argue with that. There, there's some rationale that they are that good. But I had Mike Trout, uh, Lorenzo Cain, and Alex Gordon as my three outfielders. I, I'm sorry, Mark. Kansas City is not, and I'm going to throw out some teams here, they, they are nowhere near the the Boston Red Sox that won the championship in 2002 or 2004 or 2013. They are nowhere near the 1995 and 97 Cleveland Indians. They are nowhere near the Baltimore Orioles of teams gone past. There is no way that Kansas City team deserves to have eight players in the starting lineup for the All-Star game. Absolutely not. That is the most asinine thing I've heard, and I hope that the commissioner steps in and does something about it, because if this game means something, then let's make it mean something, and let's make it a game, like you said, that these players need to play in and not make it a, 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 the publicity hound that it is for Kansas City to get these guys in there. They don't deserve it. Not all well, eight of them. Well, first of all, you're the one... First of all, you're the one who says it's a exhibition game. I agree, I disagree yeah. with that. You can't have it both ways. If it's an exhibition game, then play the eight. If it's a game that means something, you can't have the eight there. Yes, but you're the one who says it's an exhibition game, so if they play the eight, so what? It's an exhibition game. Doesn't matter. That's exactly what I'm saying, Mark, but if this game's supposed to mean something, then you can't have the eight there. Okay, but you're, you're trying to have it both ways. No, I'm not. I'm telling you. You cannot have it both ways as far as Major League Baseball. If this game means something, those eight can't play. Okay. That does not detract from the years that Alex Gordon and Lorenzo Cain are having. And, of course, Mike Trout is a shoe-in. But uh, Cain and Gordon, I mean, the the only other guys you could have maybe are Adam Jones, Jose Bautista, maybe Cespedes. Who else are you going to put in there? Those Michael Brantley, Adam Jones, and Mike Trout. I said Trout. I already had Trout in there. I agree with you. Adam okay. Jones and, and Michael Brantley are my starting outfield. Who's the third? Brantley and who else? Brantley and Adam Jones. Well, I mean, I could make a case for Adam Jones. I think he's pretty close to Alex Gordon. But you can't say that Gordon and Kane aren't good. They are very good. I'm not saying Gordon and Kane aren't good. What I'm saying is, is that that starting eight is nowhere near some of the great teams that we've had in years past. Everybody seems to want to make this Kansas City team out to be one of the greatest teams of all time. Hell, Mark, they got hot the last month of the season and just barely made it into the playoffs and then barely made it into the World Series. And, yeah, they got beat in seven games. But that does not make them a great ball club. 
which has absolutely nothing to do with who we picked for the All-Star game. I agree with you. That's why I'm saying if Kansas City, if this, if this All-Star game is an exhibition game, then fine, let the eight in. But if this game is going to be for all the marbles for the World Series, then they've got to do something about this. Okay, we just are not on the same wavelength on this, but <laughs> I'll move on to the National League. I've got, uh, maybe because I just don't like him, I think he's a jerk. I didn't have Bryce Harper in there, although he's having a good year. I had Andrew McCutcheon, Giancarlo Stanton, and Jock Peterson. Interesting. I had Andrew McCutcheon, Brian Harper, and Giancarlo Stanton. You mean Bryce Harper? Bryce Harper, yes. Well, we're, we're pretty close. I, I just think Jock pretty Peterson's had a better all-round year. Harper, you know, he started off, Bryce Harper started off in April terrible. And he's gotten hot the last six weeks, and I don't think that is the guy... Uh, that I want, I just think Jack Peterson brings more to the table. But again, we're, we're not far off with those two. I think they uh, they both are deserving, and they probably will both make the team. Okay, very quickly because I want to get into this other thing about last at bat. Who's your DH? Uh, for the American League, uh, good question. Uh, probably Jose Bautista. Okay. I went with and Nelson Nick, Cruz and Anthony Rizzo. Okay. Uh, I'd probably go with uh, Adam Jones and Jose Bautista. I mean, those those guys certainly could could help my team. Okay. All right. Now, real quick, who's your gut, who's your gut feeling for starting pitchers? I'm not going to ask you to pick one, but who, who do you think should be the starting pitchers? Well, again, not going by record necessarily, but Kershaw, Cueto, um, those are two guys that I, that I would want on my staff. I mean, there's, there's, in pitching, it's awfully hard to pick because you really have to give some thought to your, your pitching staff because you, you have relief issues. So there, there's too many guys there that qualify to be potential guys that uh, we don't need to go through that list. But who, who's your top two or three? Uh, I, I, my decision was I was going to start Johnny Cueto for the National League. And my American League starter, I really could not decide upon one, but I ended up actually sitting back and looking at it and deciding to go with David Price. Yeah, it's funny you say that because David Price is not—he's not been dominant this year. He's been—he's been effective, uh, but he, he, there's no—you uh, know—the Alex out in Seattle, the King. Uh, he's been up and down this year. There's no one guy in the American League that's really standing out and saying, I'm clearly the starter for the All-Star game. No, you're right. A lot of good pitching, but there's, it's going to be made up of bullpen, too. Okay, we're going to run late on tonight's show, but I think this is important enough to play. Um, Mark, this has to do with last at bat. You had open auditions this week, and there was a great uh, story on WDTN. And, and where was that located at, Mark? That's uh, Channel 2 NBC affiliate in Dayton, Ohio. Okay, they did a great report um, that was sent to us earlier tonight about the open auditions, and I wanted to play this so that everybody could get a feel for just what's happening with the movie Last of Bad and how these open editions are going. Of course. Of course I do, man. Of course. It's a dream for many to play baseball at a big league level, and for some in the Miami Valley, a baseball tryout could land them on the silver screen. Jake Ryle explains why a film director is casting his field of dreams right here in our area. 
Well, it's been said that baseball is a game that's meant for the youth. And that's why more than 50 young athletes stepped up to the plate today at Bellbrook High School. And it's all in hopes of being the next hit in Hollywood. The field, or court of dreams, was the site for a movie casting call. Last at Bat is a book turned movie written and produced by Kettering's Mark Donahue. He says he struck out on a casting call in Hollywood with actors and not baseball players. For some reason we made the assumption they could, they could fake it. And then we took him to the baseball field and they can't fake it. Either you can play or you can't. Which is why he wants to hit a home run in his backyard. I played ball for 50 years. I know the talent level here. They're going to 10 cities looking for actors to play the lead character, Dylan Michael, who has a lot in common with some of baseball's best. He's Joey Votto, or he's Mike Trout, or he's one of the greatest players of his era. Acting hopefuls were playing for the lead role, but for some like Gage Connolly, in the MLB, the audition is a chance to play the game he loves. To be better at baseball in general and, you know, rep people can see my ability to play, and I just want to be good at it. The casting call isn't just performing Thanks on the diamond. Thank for inviting me out here tonight. It also means being a gem at the script. I did the Long Home movie with uh, James Franco and Eaton, and I made some good connections there. Corey McKinney knows he stands too tall to play the role of Dylan Michael. Instead of lean 190, I'm 250, 6'4". So. But he's still hoping to land a spot in the movie as one of the more than 120 extras. <laughs> That's right. And for those cast to play a role, they may not have to go very far. That's why we started here. And hopefully we'd like to make the, the film about the Cincinnati Reds. That's the team in the book. The last at bat is hoping for a walk-off performance from an unknown local celebrity. Jake Ryle, 5 on 2. Outstanding report, Mark. Real outstanding right. report. I, I was impressed with that. Yeah, it was fun today. We, we had actually closer to 65 or 70 kids show up. And uh, it was we, we, had, we found some people that we can use. And uh, so we're, we're moving forward. And uh, thanks for playing that, Dave. It's, uh, it's getting more and more real every, every week. And uh, it's really fun to see these kids come out and, and give their all to be in this film. Now, where can they find the rest of the schedule out at? Uh, go to lastatbatthemovie.com, and my co-producer, Linda Jordan, will be posting our schedule. Uh, actually, the next thing we're going to do is a script read. We'll probably do one in Dayton and one in Cincinnati. Uh, it's called Scripted, where we actually read the Last at Bat script with professional actors. So that'll be the next step, and some of the people that tried out today, uh, we're going to invite to join us on stage. Yeah, I want to thank Linda Jordan for sending us out. Linda's one of our biggest stalkers. I mean, I mean fans, and um, so you know we want we want to thank her for sending that out to us. I, well done, I, I, David. I well done. I I couldn't help that. Mark, what do the Reds have coming up this week? Well, they've got four games with Detroit home and away, and uh, frankly, I don't have the schedule in front of me beyond that. But uh, right now, Reds fans are not. Uh, there's a high probability the Reds are going to be swept by Detroit. Uh, they they were trailing six to nothing earlier tonight, so things are not looking good. So looking into the schedule of future is not something I look forward to doing. And that that is the final score tonight. The Reds got beat by Detroit six to nothing. Now the Indians will play at Wrigley Field tomorrow night, and then they'll be at Cleveland against the clubs, uh, the Cubs, I should say, on Wednesday and Thursday, and then they've got Tampa Bay this Friday, Saturday and Sunday. Mark, we'll be back again next Monday night. Thanks a lot. Thank you, David. Have a good one. That's going to do it for us here this evening. Don't forget, 
the ultimate sports talk show coming up at 7 o'clock on Thursday night. And just one final time, go Cavs tomorrow night. That's going to do it for us tonight. Our thanks to Greg Mitchell, our producer, also to Mark Donahue. But most of all, our thanks to you for listening here this evening. Until next Monday night at 9 o'clock, I'm Dave Mitchell for Mark Donahue. Have a good week, everybody. Good night. The Wiz Kids have won it. Bobby Thompson had done it. And Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born. Marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball. Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball. The man and Bobby Feller, the scooter, the barber, and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque. Especially with...